Hello, this is Dr. David Friedman, host of To Your Good Health Radio. And this episode is being brought to you by Carnivora, the plant-based nutritional powerhouse. Over the past two decades, I've interviewed world-leading health experts sharing their knowledge on the importance of eating organic whole foods that are chemical-free. And many people know the importance of reading labels for themselves and their children, but they don't think twice about what they feed their four-legged family members. Joining us is Dr. Ernie Ward, America's Pet Advocate. His new book, The Clean Pet Food Revolution, lifts the lid on the current pet food industry. Dr. Ward will discuss the truth behind the words all natural and he'll expose the myths behind grain-free diets and share how much protein intake your pets actually need. We're told our cats and dogs need to be fed a lot of animal protein, but doing so may actually contribute to obesity, kidney and liver disease, and certain cancers. If you care about your four-legged family members, stay tuned. This power pack segment starts now. It's To Your Good Health Radio with number one best-selling author and renowned wellness expert, Dr. David Friedman, changing lives just for the health of it. Our next guest is an internationally recognized veterinarian. He's the chief veterinary officer and co-founder of Wild Earth, a plant-based sustainable pet food company and the exclusive director of education for Vertical Vet. He's the best-selling author of Better You, Better Dog, Better Life and Chow Hounds, Why Our Dogs Are Getting Fatter. He's been featured in more than 100 practice management and peer-reviewed medical journal articles in 11 countries, co-authored the American Animal Hospital Association Weight Management Guidelines, and co-authored the Veterinarian Clinics of North America's Small Animal Obesity Textbook. He's been featured on the Today Show, Good Morning America, NBC Nightly News, CNN, Fox News, and he served as the resident veterinarian for The Rachel Ray Show. His new book is called The Clean Pet Food Revolution. Revolution, how better pet food will change the world. Welcome to the show, Dr. Ernie Ward. Oh, Dr. Freeman, thank you for having me. Oh, it's great. Yeah, I've been really excited about getting you on the show. People are so obsessed with what they shouldn't and shouldn't be eating, and you know, and many people will feed their pet anything without giving it a second thought. It makes no sense, or maybe even feed them something they think is healthy when it's not. Share why you wrote the Clean Pet Food Revolution. Well, you know, Dr. Freeman, I think I probably wrote this book much the same reasons that, or many of the same reasons that you wrote Food Sanity. And, you know, we get frustrated by a lot of the misinformation that's out there, a lot of the myths that abound despite evidence contrary. And so I really wanted to make sure that pet owners, and specifically dog owners, we're getting the real truth behind what's in animal proteins, how are we feeding our dogs, and what are the future changes that are about to come? Because we are in the midst, as you know, of a plant-based revolution in this country and much of Europe, right. but we're also starting to see you know, this advent of cellular agriculture, all these lab-grown meats. I mean, in the next decade, Dr. Friedman, we're going to see a complete transformation of our food supply. Right. That's so so true, you know. And I know your book, you recommend taking animal products out of the pet bowl, but we think that's they belong in the pet bowl. Aren't cats and dogs carnivores and need a diet that's high in meat? Right. And here's where, you know, we do begin the book sort of this discussion around terminology. And, and we're doctors, you know, you're a human physician, I'm a veterinarian. So we have our own little lexicon and our own secret language. Right. But the reality is words are failing us in today's modern world of medicine and nutrition. And so if you look at the terms carnivore, omnivore, 
herbivore. These were first described in the 18th century. This is part of Carl Linnaeus's attempt to, right. you know, organize the world around us. And Linnaeus and his biology colleagues were basically using the tools they had at hand, which were skeletons, field observations, you know, and, and basically reports of, of animals that they'd never seen. So this is why they started lumping animals like a panda bear and a raccoon and a, and a tiger together because they could only look at the skeletons. And so I try to challenge today's pet owner and person, and of course our colleagues, to really question the language. What is the validity of applying an anatomical term to the specific nutritional or physiological needs of an animal today? And I would say, you know, certainly there are so many exceptions to these carnivore, omnivore, herbivore rules. I mean, heck, nature just, uh, there was a publication last year that proved that the Canadian snow hare, rabbit, actually eats meat in the winter, right? Yeah. So there are all these exceptions. We really need a better language. Of course, I lay out in the Clean Pet Food Revolution some of the ways I think we're going to describe nutritional terms moving forward. And we really have to get down to what is the physiology, right? Why do animals and people eat certain foods or need certain foods to thrive and prevent disease and fight infection? And that's where, that's where I think we're quickly you know, arriving. Yeah, we always hear, you know, rabbits need the vegetables and, and cats and dogs stay away. But, you know, for our vegan listeners, can they feed their four-legged family members plant-based foods? Absolutely, absolutely. And, of course, they, they're already largely doing that because mm -hmm. many of the meats that are in current animal meat you know, diets out there right. are really of poor quality. And I hate using terms like poor quality. That's a, a totally non-scientific terminology, but I'm trying to illustrate a point that, you know, you're really not feeding as much meat as you think already. But more importantly, let's look back at the physiology, that term omnivore, carnivore, herbivore, throw those out the windows and say, look, what do they need from a nutrient standpoint? Right. And we really have to, I think, elevate the conversation beyond ingredients into nutrients. Because see, I use the term, and you probably use the same uh, type of, of metaphors, Dr. Freeman, I call ingredients. So like a pea or a, a piece of steak. An ingredient is a nutrient vessel. Mm -hmm. See, all that's in that pea or that piece of beef are constituent nutrients like amino acids and fats and vitamins and minerals. And so that's what the body uses. It's not the meat, but yet we have this ingredient bias. And so I go on to describe this term I developed about a decade ago that says, look, because we observe the world visually through texture, taste, feel, all those senses, you know, we then try to ascribe, well, this, is, this meat makes me feel good, or this ice cream makes me feel happy. Mm -hmm. and, and yet, it's the actual nutrients, the what's in that food that actually has all the, the power, and that's where we've really got to get to. So yes, you can feed plant-based diet to your, your dog as long as you're giving them the adequate nutrients. Right. I got to say, I really enjoyed your book, and I have to admit, it made me quite angry. In one of the chapters, you talk about pet food contains 4D meats, which include putrefied yeah. flesh from dead animals and expired retail meat from grocery stores. Now, Doc, these would be considered illegal health hazards for humans to consume, yet it's okay for our pets to eat them? It is. And when you look at the regulations, and look, I will be the first to say the pet food supply in the United States is the safest in the world. I'm very proud of the work that the FDA does mm -hmm. and the state regulators. So just get that out of the way. But if you still look at the regulations, they allow you to feed diseased and disabled 
animals, right? And, and you have to first of all say, why would this be? Well, this is an economic imperative. What they're trying to do is, is really save farmers, you know, money. And so they go, look, oh, we can't feed it to our children, but it seems perfectly fine to feed our pets. And to their credit, they use something called rendering, which is basically taking these diseased or disabled cows and pigs and chickens right. and whatever, and they put them in these big, massive what's, I guess, for lack of a better term, a big boiling vat. And so by rendering, they say, hey, this will probably kill any of the stuff that might be really harmful. But we don't really know if that's true or not. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of contaminants. We go into great detail in the book listing all of the official FDA recalls. And this pretty scary list. You know, we've got euthanasia drugs. We had a massive recall a little over a year ago. Mm. Uh, we, we see heavy metals. We see one of the things that concerns me, and I know it concerns you, are all of the microplastics that are now popping up in meat. Yeah. Because these are endocrine disruptors. I mean, these are leading to diseases like, like of course, diabetes and obesity. But we don't know effects on reproduction, you know, um, men and women's sexual health. I mean, Dr. Friedman, this is the stuff that scares me the most. In fact, I'm more worried about the stuff that they aren't testing for than the things that we are. Before we continue, I want to remind everyone that this episode is being brought to you by Carnivora. You know, with all the news reports about people getting sick, I get asked a lot, what am I doing to support my healthy immune system? The answer is Carnivora, a nutritional powerhouse supplement made from extracts of the Venus flytrap. It's the product I take daily to keep my immune system at its optimal level, and you should too. Carnivora contains 17 naturally occurring compounds that help support Support a healthy immune system. We're bombarded every day with germs and chemicals and free radicals and pesticides, and all of these can wreak havoc on our immune system. Even daily stress can lower our body's ability to combat disease. The Venus flytrap is considered one of the strongest plants in the world, and Carnivora allows you to harness its power and immune-boosting properties. Order yours today at Carnivora.com. Use promo code GOODHEALTH for 10% off your order. Instead of stressing about getting sick, take proactive steps to boost your immune system and live the healthy life that you deserve. Carnivora.com. Type in promo code GOODHEALTH for 10% off. I have to say, you know, I'm a clinical nutritionist, author of a number one best-selling book on healthy eating. I've been the health expert for syndicated TV and radio, yet I could not figure out what to feed my own cat. Everything I tried made her vomit. It was frustrating. I tried one that was labeled, quote, organic and natural, made her projectile vomit across the room. So if I struggle with this topic, I know many of our listeners do as well. I guess the million dollar question is, what do we need to know when we're shopping for our pet food? Well, first off, Freeman, you are like tens of millions of others, and you're trying to do the best by your pet. So I applaud your efforts. But I also know that you're being overwhelmed and potentially misled by clever marketing. You mentioned, hey, I tried to get the best cat food, something organic, all natural, you know? Mm -hmm. And those terms have no legal or regulatory definitions. I mean, and when they do, they're not enforced. So when you look at terms like organic, we really don't have clear definitions yet in the pet food space. Now, right now, what the FDA is saying, look, we don't quite have clarity on this regulation, so we want you to sort of adhere to the human organic labeling. But again, this still is yet to be settled as far as laws and regulations. The natural, you know this, this is one of the oldest tricks in the book, Dr. Friedman. Yeah. It's basically, you know, 
unless it is highly synthesized, you know, unless it's something completely made out of plastic, you can get away with calling it natural. And, and in fact, when you look at the, the legal terminology that some of the regulatory bodies use, it literally says anything that can be produced or grown or acquired, you know, this side of the sun. So I get very, very frustrated because I think pet owners are being misled, which leads us back into this whole, you know, I spend a great deal of the book trying to bust the myth that your dog is somehow a wolf. <laughs> and, you know, right. it's just the scientific evidence is clear. This is brilliant marketing by a handful of companies. And when you look at the differences between dogs and wolves, I mean, this is at the basic genetic level. There are at least 36 distinct genes that are different in the physiology of a dog from a wolf. And of those 36, about 20 are involved with things like starch metabolism. So to say your dog is a wolf and it needs raw meat to thrive just is contrary to all the evidence that we have. Wow. You know, we hear a lot of health advocates saying that we as humans need to avoid eating grains. What about animals? Are grains off limits? Uh, grains are good. I've, I've personally been an advocate of grains for a long time. And, mm -hmm. you know, we're now starting to see some sort of blowback against grains right now. There's been a, some, some concern that potentially some certain grain-free diets might have a link with heart disease. I think that that story has yet to be fully told. I think that genetics play a lot uh, to do with this particular disease as well as inflammatory bowel disease or any type of of, of GI disease, but grains, you know, are really, I mean, as I've mentioned, genetically, dogs have adapted to eat starches and grains. So when we made them our best friend, we also invited them to eat whatever we were eating. And so dogs, humans, every animal on this planet, we do one thing really, really well, and that is adapt to resource availability. So if you're going to survive on this planet or on any planet, you've got to be able to adapt. And that's what dogs did. And they, you know, over tens of thousands of years of coexisting with humans, they said, hey, I better get really good at digesting corn because mm -hmm. these guys give me a lot of corn or flowers or whatever. So it's no surprise that we see all these genetic adaptations. Um, but more importantly, I think that what is the million dollar question? What's the best thing to feed your pet? And this is where it gets complicated. And for your viewers, I will say the most important decision you make every day regarding your pet's health is what you feed it. Okay, I've said this for, for decades now. But part of that decision-making process should be with your trusted veterinarian. And I get really frustrated with my colleagues. I give, like you, you know, presentations all around the world on nutrition and, and, and how to you know, help people select the right foods and so forth. And many veterinarians are like, you know what, this is just overwhelming. I don't want to have anything to do with that. Let them go to the pet food shop and figure it out themselves. And I completely disagree with that, as you do. You know, we know that this is such an important decision. So if your veterinarian isn't open-minded, willing to have a conversation with you about what you feed your pet, find another veterinarian. There are too many out there that are just as passionate as I am and as qualified and educated. We right. spend all of our continuing education allowances going to nutrition conferences. You need to find that person because without some of that extra professional guidance, you're then left to the whims of the internet marketing and you just don't want to fall prey to false advertising. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, we, we're so picky on our doctor, yet we'll just go to the vet because it's closer on the corner. So be be picky. Yeah, or open on Saturday or whatever. And, yeah. and look, that's all that's important. But you know, there's nothing more powerful than the relationship you have with your own human healthcare provider or your pet healthcare provider. And I do worry in this 
age, Dr. Freeman, of, of sort of internet accessibility and Google everything and Dr. Google 24-7, that we're losing that sort of human-to-human to, in my case, human-to-human and pet connection. Mm-hmm. Because I think that if you have that trusted healthcare professional in your life, that is really your ally in preventing disease and extending your longevity. True. I know obesity is increasing for humans, and in your book you share how it's also happening to our pets. 60% of cats and 56% of dogs in the United States are overweight or obese. What can be attributed to this increase? It can't be because they're binge-watching Netflix shows. (laughs) (laughs) Although I think they are. I think they're right in our laps doing that. Well, you know, Dr. Friedman, pet obesity has really been a focus of mine uh, for over 20 years. And in fact, it became such a a focal point of my professional experience expertise that in 2005, I founded the Association for Pet Obesity Prevention. And I encourage your listeners to check it out, petobesityprevention.org. We are not affiliated, associated with any type of company. We're completely a a nonprofit. It's a wonderful group of professionals from around the globe that are all committed in this fight. But pet obesity, of course, we see the classic reasons, overfeeding and under-exercising, same things that we complain about in humans. But that's not the end of the story for either species, right? Dogs, cats, and humans also have a complex interaction of diet and environment with genetics, with environmental pollutants. I've mentioned microplastics, but we have clear evidence that BPA, you know, that thing that was in every, it still is in a lot of plastics that wrap foods, that we store water in and so forth, that that can actually lead to obesity. Uh, We also are seeing things like how does the microbiome influence obesity? Because if literally if humans and dogs, which we have pretty clear evidence emerging now, if certain species of bacteria are, are prevalent in the gut, then you're more likely to be digesting fats in a different way and right. storing them in a different manner, which leads to you know, obesity, or, or we call it adiposity, the storage of excess fat tissue. So we're looking at all these different things and you go, wait a second, this is really complicated. Drugs can influence it. So if your dog is on many seizure medications, wow, that can influence it. Right. Prednisolone or corticosteroids. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on. So I really get frustrated like you do when people try to distill it into, well, just feed them less, you know, just eat less. If right. talk therapy alone worked, then we wouldn't have a nation that's crippled by obesity. And so I think that for me as a practitioner, the first thing I want to do is eliminate any other potential cause, whether it's disease or environmental. Then we start to focus on macronutrients. So we look at the formulations, the amount of proteins and fats and carbohydrates, uh, you know, and then adding things like L-carnitine, for example. So there's a really complex interaction between a lot of elements. But yeah. the first thing you do, rule out disease. The second thing you do is you adjust the diet. True. Talk to us about things we shouldn't be feeding our pets. You know, we've all heard about the doggy bag that we bring home after eating at a restaurant. Are there things we sh- we eat that we shouldn't feed to our dogs or just pop them down the piece of pizza? <laughs> what should we be doing? Well, you know, absolutely. That's a great question. And, you know, it's one of those things where I think sometimes we blow these things out of proportion. Because when you look at the list, you go, okay... It's a small list of foods. I mean, we want to avoid certain onions and garlic, but then wait a second. They have to really eat a lot of those things to actually cause a problem. You know, grapes are one of those befuddling compounds where we don't really know what's going on, but some dogs are highly, you know, can be highly sensitive to grapes and that can lead to, you know, to disease and and even be lethal. Um, But, you know, chocolates, even macadamia nuts. I mean, there's a list of these things, but what I try to tell people to do is if you're going to share food with your pet, especially now we're talking your dog, 
I like vegetables, you know, so carrots and broccoli, celery, asparagus, you know, those kind of crunchy vegetables. Zucchini is one of my favorites, you know, and sliced wow. cucumbers my dogs go gaga for. If we're going to share fruits, I mean, obviously sliced apples and bananas are easy to give, no grapes. Um, strawberries, I'm a big fan of. Blueberries, my dogs go gaga for, and I love all the, the phytochemicals and flavonoids that are in include in blueberries because we know that helps with the brain function. Yeah. So I like to share those kind of things just like you, those fresh fruits and vegetables. Yeah. I tend towards the crunchy stuff. But again, back to moderation. This should be more of a treat, a reward, a special time. Once a day, I'll be honest with you, I, my dog's favorite treat are baby carrots. And so that's their reward they get for when they go out and do their business. They come back in, they go straight to the refrigerator and say, okay, dad, give me that baby carrot. Yeah. Now these doggy treats you buy at the, you know, the, the pet store, I'm sure just like human snacks, they can pack on the pounds. Is there anything oh, the God. pet owners should avoid when they see these snacks? Yeah, I tell you, so so obviously, you know, our company makes a snack, and I'm, I'm a big fan of it because we have, you know, I've really leaned into fibers. So one of the things I think that's missing in the human and, and the dog diet are really healthy dietary fibers. And I've really focused right. on beta-glucans, which you've probably, you know very much about, but yeah. if your listeners don't know, beta-glucans are known as immunomodulators. The same way that mushrooms can boost the immune system, they really have these direct impacts via the gut to boost a dog and a human's immune system. So I like beta-glucans. So our treats are packed full of, of beta-glucans as well as our diet. But getting back to these commercial treats, really you have to start looking at calorie counts. You know, years mm -hmm. ago, I did an expose for Dateline, which used to be this late night uh, news show that did all these exposés. And I uncovered the sugary secret of, of pet treats. And, you know, it's quite shocking when you look at some of these treats that are out there, especially the soft, chewy ones. I mean, they can pack 50, 100, 200 calories, and you're giving this to your 10-pound, you know, Frenchie? Yeah, wow. wow. You know, sud suddenly now you've got a real problem. You know, I used to tell people, we have this uh, in Chow Hounds, I had all of these little equations, but like giving your dog some of these really popular soft treats that maybe even, you know, look like a pepperoni, I'll leave it at that. Uh -huh. um, but if you give that to your like small dog, that's like you eating, you know, three Big Macs. And it's just, Jeez. you know, it's an obscene <laughs> amount of calories. And then people say, I don't understand why my dog's getting so uh, overweight. I just give him one or two of these treats a day. Well, that's the reason. Wow. That's great. Now, you're the CEO of Wild Earth Dog Food. Tell us about how that came to fruition. Yeah, well, I'm the chief veterinary officer. Our CEO is a friend of mine, Ryan Bethancourt. Okay. And, and, yeah, and I'll tell you, really, the, my quick story is, for all these years, I've been a vegan and vegetarian for 32 years. And I always thought, well, I'm part of the solution, not part of the problem. Then in 2017, UCLA published a study on the environmental impacts of pet food production in the United States. And they found, in summary, that about 25% of all the animal meats and about 30% of all the animal meat greenhouse gas production mm -hmm. was directly related to pet food manufacturing. And that hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm actually part of the problem. Right. And so I wanted to figure out a way to solve that. And so I was really fortunate to hook up with some brilliant people uh, that were like-minded. We now have offices in Berkeley, California, which is an amazing hub of, of food technology, as you know. And so we've you know, set out, we produced the first 
uh, the world's first high-protein plant-based dog food. We launched it last year. It's now become the fastest-selling and the leading plant-based dog food in the country. So we're really proud of that. But more importantly, we're trying to look at ways that we can reduce the impacts of food on climate change, for example. And so I think that if pet owners are listening about to one thing that I will say all day, it's really... I think evaluate the choices that you make for your pet food and the impacts it has far beyond the bowl. Because I think that you know, we really have to say, okay, if we're going to solve climate change, we're going to have to look at everything that's a major contributor, and pet food certainly now is one of them. Such great information. Time flew by. I have so many more topics we can cover. We definitely got to have you back on the show. You've shared some doggone great information, and the pun there is intended. <laughs> I love I love pet puns. So if any listeners have any pet puns, definitely hit us up. <laughs> well, it's been a dog day afternoon here at To You Good Health Radio. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Dr. Freeman, I just really want to thank you for, for helping uh, share this message. I love what you're doing. Your message is so powerful and important. Uh, people need to understand that we can have some sanity and clarity around food. It's really important. Just as I say, the most important decision you make about your pet's health is what you feed it. It's certainly say, the same for human health. So I really want to thank you on behalf of everyone for all your efforts. Oh, fantastic. So folks, you can get your copy of the Clean Pet Food Revolution by going to Clean Pet Food Revolution and for more information on Wild Earth Dog Food, you can visit wildearth.com and you can listen to the Veterinary Viewfinder podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. Be sure to follow Dr. Ward on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Dr. Ernie Ward. And for my daily health post, follow me on Twitter and Facebook at Dr. David Friedman. On Instagram, I'm at Dr. D. Friedman. If you heard Dr. Ward share something today that could benefit a pet owner that you know, send them a link to this podcast. It's available at toyougoodhealthradio.com and check out our podcast library and share these segments with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. You can also subscribe to future podcasts at iHeartRadio and iTunes. More to come. Stay tuned and stay Stay well.